You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist Darren Nichols. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. We've got we've had a number of issues in the media this week, and helping us break some of this down is longtime reporter and a very good friend of mine, Orlando Brand Williams. Welcome. Thank you, Darren. Okay. Good to talk to you as always. Absolutely. You know, we don't get a chance to see each other as much as we did when we worked in a newsroom together, but it's always, you know, good to have a familiar uh, person on the other end. And I might add, your presence is sorely missed in this newsroom. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we're going to talk a little bit today about um, the gun ordinance um, in East Point. And so... Tell us a little bit about the gun ordinance and uh, what it sort of means. Uh, Well, it's a uh, new city law that bans anyone from keeping a gun in an unlocked vehicle. And when I first heard about it, my eyes kind of went up because I'm thinking who would keep uh, a weapon in an unlocked car? But as the police chief explained to me, or the public service director, um, the, the the weapons uh, many times end up there unlocked because um, simply people forgot that they have put the weapons away. Uh, they may have gone to a sporting event, entertainment, a concert, and they could not take um, the, the weapons the guns into those venues with them, so they would take them back to the car or their vehicle. Um, Once they got home, they would have forgotten that they left the weapon out there and perhaps also um, maybe not locked the car inadvertently or otherwise. So the weapon ended up in an unlocked vehicle. Okay. And so what happened uh, this week uh, in terms of um, what gun owners or gun advocates were um, uh, dealing with this, this problem? And what, what have they been saying in response to this uh, ordinance? Well, um, gun rights advocates and owners, um, no pun intended, but definitely were wild and up in arms. Um, by this, uh, this city ordinance, um, they told me they felt that their Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms, uh, were treaded upon, that there was, they were being, their rights were being infringed upon, and they didn't think that the city had the power to enact this ordinance. Um, so they were very angry about it because they felt only the Michigan legislature could do that. And so um, a group of gun advocates uh, under the group, the Michigan Gun Owners, Inc., filed a lawsuit in Macomb County Circuit Court against uh, the gun ordinance. Um, no, no date has been set yet for 
uh, a hearing on their lawsuit. But um, just quoting their attorney, um, he says, quote, he's not advocating in any way uh, irresponsible gun ownership, unquote. But they brought the lawsuit so that they could get in, in into court and discuss um, whether or not this is this is really um, legally binding. Now, the uh, public service safety director for Eastport told, told me that he had run um, the proposed ordinance at the time by the city attorney and that it was solid. So he was not concerned that it would be legally challenged. Um, I reached out to him and the mayor, uh, I'm sorry, city manager of East Point, um, and I've not heard back from anyone. Uh, I did talk to the interim, I'm sorry, uh, correction. I talked to the interim city manager, and um, he said that they're looking, the city is looking forward to this matter playing itself out in court. Okay. And so when they enacted the ordinance, what 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 was their thought pattern behind it? Was there um, any type of incidents that happened, or 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 anything like that? What was what was the reasoning behind doing it? Well, the public safety director George Ruop um, told me that uh, they've had a rash of firearm thefts from vehicles uh, over the last three years. They've had sixty weapons, uh, guns stolen over three years, and 21 swiped in one year alone. And he said it seemed like every other day somebody was calling uh, the police department saying they had a gun stolen from their car. And after they ran the the numbers in terms of how many incidents they'd had, he said it was quite alarming. And they found that the majority of vehicles that that were involved had been left unlocked. Okay. And so now I talked to um, noted gun rights uh, advocate uh, Rick Ector of Legally Armed in Detroit, and he says he feels like the gun ordinance punishes gun orders, uh, gun owners, and uh, absolves criminals who steal the guns. And 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 why would he come up with that notion that it, that it sort of um, punishes? Uh, gun owners and tramples on uh, the gun owner's rights or, or you know, the right to bear arms? Well, he said the focus seems to be on law-abiding citizens who carry guns for protection of their family. He he says he feels that the concern, uh, he, he's concerned that they're totally taking away uh, the responsibility from the criminals who are stealing the guns and giving them a slap on the wrist and, and, and penalizing uh the gun owners. Now, if you are found guilty or if you, if, you know, you violate the ordinance, you can be fined up to $350 just right. on the first offense, which is pretty hefty. Um, and then on another, uh, you know, a subsequent um, offense, you can end up uh, uh, facing 90 days uh, in jail and or a fine. Okay, and that sort of leads me to my next question. Um, but because you mentioned the fine and potential jail time, how many people have been rest, arrested um, under this new ordinance? And I know it's only been like maybe a month or so uh, going on, but have there been people that have been arrested and, and fined as a result? I don't have any uh, statistics or numbers on that just yet. 
but um, but Mr. Rua did point out that um, the gun that was uh, used in a shooting at the Alaska Bar in East Point that was in October. Right. That gun had been stolen from a vehicle in Detroit. Wow. Um, and there was a there was a East Point, I believe he's an East Point resident, Jared Glenn, who died as a result of that shooting um, where there were six people shot, including um, Jared Glenn. Right. So, um, yeah, it's uh, definitely an issue that people are talking about. Um, and uh, when I talked to the Michigan League, uh, the Michigan Municip- Municipal League, um they kind of like oversee and look at a lot of the laws that are going on in municipalities and cities across the uh, state. They did say that, uh, to the best of their knowledge, the East Point Ordinance is the first of its kind in Michigan. Okay, Okay. wow. So everybody's going to be watching. This is a gun ordinance or a new city ordinance I think a lot of people are going to be watching. Right, and and particularly – when you're talking about cities like Detroit where guns are, you know, stolen, you know, on a quite more frequent basis than a city like, you know, East Point. And so, I mean, talk a little bit how about, you know, how this will affect uh, other cities and whether other cities will take on this measure depending upon what happens with the legal fight. And that's why I think that um, this is something that people are definitely going to be watching because, you know, East Point has um, 32,000 people and it's five and a half, 5.1 miles um, long or its borders are 5.1 mi- uh, miles. Um, but I think that uh, people are going to be watching because they want to know if it's going to be successful with other cities. I mean, if, you know, if, if the legal challenge is unsuccessful, then will other cities think of the same thing? It's not just with guns, but with other issues. Um, so it's definitely an interesting ordinance. Um, when I was first assigned the story, my question was, who, who leaves um, a gun unlocked in a car or a vehicle? But the way the chief was explaining to me, when people go out and they have to put their guns away, then when they get home, you know, maybe they're getting home late. They're not thinking about, oh, I got my weapon in the car. I got to remove it. Or I got to make sure the car door is locked. You know, you're in a haste maybe to get inside your home. So you totally forget. And thus you've got a weapon sitting in an unlocked car. Right. And so, oh, go ahead. No, it's just saying people find it hard to believe. But when the, when the public service, uh, public safety director explained it to me that way, then I, I could see that would be a reasonable explanation why um, it ended up there. Right. Yeah. Or I, a possibility. Yeah. I remember a case um, several years ago where um, a Detroit police officer had his gun stolen um, out of his vehicle. So, you know, it, we we know that it happens. It's just that uh, mm-hmm. cities haven't taken any uh, action upon those, you know, these kinds of thefts. And, 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 what it means to leave guns in your car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this case, the uh, public safety director would say, um, you've got teens who are out there stealing these guns 
and also um, people who uh, are drug users who are taking the guns. And they're both in both cases, they're taking the guns and, and reselling them. Okay. And selling so, them. They're right. selling the guns. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. They're selling them on the street and, and you know, making mm-hmm. their money and doing what they do. Um, mm-hmm. And so ultimately, where do you see all of this going? I mean, do you see this because, you know, based on my experience, you know, once a legal fight is started, depending upon the issue, it's going to go up the chain. And so do you believe that this ultimately will end up in the Michigan Supreme Court? I do. I I, I, I do. I don't think it's going to stop at uh, the circuit court level. I do see seeing it possibly, very possibly going that far. Okay. And I don't know what what else should we know about this particular issue and um, where where it's kind of going and what is the 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 tone and the flavor around East Point. Well, I know um, this is the second, really the second headline that has come out of East Point. Um, we've got a, a new mayor, and she made history as an African American woman. Um, trying to get an interview with her. Uh, she made history. Uh, you know, East Point used to be East Detroit. And um, I believe they had a name change in the 80s. Is that correct? Yes, it was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so that is, uh, you know, that's also one of the big headlines that came out of uh, East Point. And I'd love to talk to her, uh, talk to her about this gun ordinance and her vision for the city. So actually, uh, East Point, they've gotten a, a lot of uh, headlines, I'd say, in the last uh, month. They, they had the uh, the, uh, the shooting at the bar. Unfortunately, they had that. They've had the gun ordinance, which has uh, garnered a lot of attention and headlines. And, and they've got a new mayor. Yes. And who we, made history. Yes. And we had her on mm-hmm. uh, the show a couple weeks ago. And um, mm-hmm. she seems like someone who will... Um, obviously, she was big on crime. I believe that was one of the things that she uh, mentioned to us um, as mm-hmm. an as an issue that she wanted to deal with um, promptly um, in, in in East Point. And so um, it'll be inter- so. I am assuming that she is behind her public safety director um, because you haven't heard anything from her saying that that she is not a not or the, saying that she is against it. And so it it will be interesting to see um, what she what she says um, because um, she's also coming from the city council aspect, so she is aware with everything. In fact, I would I would dare to say that she helped to pass the ordinance itself. And so it will yeah. it will be very interesting to see what she what she would uh, say about this issue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, congratulations! You've got one of the first interviews with her. Yes. Well, you know, every now and then. Mayor Monique Owens. Yes. Mayor Monique Owens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. some, sometimes, you know, you, you get, you know, the right people and you make the right calls and, <laughs> and, and you get and you get somebody that's sit, sitting across from you. So, you know, absolutely. We were, I was absolutely. I was so, very yeah, I fortunate to talking to her myself. Yes. And she's a very she's a very nice person as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I like to pick her brain on, you know, we're, the vision and the future of East Point and um, that sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you have been uh-huh. covering the case of the uh, cop that was killed. 
and you um, went to his um, uh, preliminary hearing this morning. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about um, what happened today as of as of Thursday. Uh, most of our listeners will uh, hear this on Monday or Tuesday. So as of Thursday, when we're taping this, um, tell us a little about a little bit about what happened uh, with the preliminary hearing. So today was the arraignment for Juwan Park. He's the 28 year old parolee, the suspect in the fatal shooting of Detroit police officer. Um, McLean, Rasheen McLean, and the arraignment is basically a formal um, reading of the charges against you. So it was done from um, an MDOC facility in Jackson, and they had taken him, uh, the authorities had taken him back there once he got released from the hospital on a parole violation. And it appeared, because um, he wasn't in the courtroom, it was done by video hookup, that he was wearing a hospital garb. Uh, it looked like a hospital gown, kind of light blue, awkward green uh, hospital garb. And uh, the only thing he said was when the judge asked him if he understood the charges, which were 16 criminal counts against him, if he understood them, and he said, yes, ma'am. Other than that, it was real quick, probably less than 15 minutes. Um, his next court date is going to be uh, December 19th. That will be for a probable cause conference. And that's a real quick hearing where if you, get, if you want, if a defendant wants, they can plead out and just uh, totally forego a trial. Um, so those are real quick. There's no testimony during that time. But what I what I call, and I don't think I have a right to call that. I'm not a legal expert. But uh, uh, the next uh, court date after December 19th will be December 23rd. That's a preliminary examination. That's when uh, the prosecutor lays out their case. There'll be testimony. There could be video of what happened that night, November 20th, when uh, Officer uh, Lachine McLean, his partner, uh, went into the house um, looking for a suspect in a home invasion. And as they descended downstairs into the basement, they were fired upon. And Officer McLean was mortally wounded. He was shot in the neck. And his partner, Lee Basum, uh D.C., Toon uh, BC uh, was uh, shot in in the ankle. So at that time, during the preliminary examination, they're uh, going to lay out the case, and the aim is to have that judge in the district court find, give uh, make a ruling if there is enough evidence to uh, bind a suspect over for trial. So uh, the really important, in my mind, the really important hearing will be December 23rd. That's when we will get details as to what happened. Sure. Um, in a lot of high-profile cases, um, the defendant might, might ask for a competency exam. And so that defendant will be sent uh, to the forensic center, uh, some people call it the uh, Ypsilanti Forensic Center, um, Michigan Forensic Center, for 
a competency evaluation exam to see if they are competent to stand trial. Okay. And that usually takes upwards of two months. And then that person uh, will be in court again. The defendant will be back in court before the judge. The report about the competency exam, a report from that, will also be entered into the record. And then that judge, uh, in, in, again, in, in district court, will make a decision whether or not um, they should be moved along to stand trial. Okay. And if you know anything about it, can you tell us a little bit about the background on the defendant? Um, what is it that um, sparked this? What what and what um, what kind of person he is? Well, there's been a, a lot of reporting, and during a news conference um, at uh, by uh, Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy to announce the charges, um, she didn't give a lot of details. All of it will come out during the prelim, but beforehand, uh, before the news conference, there's been a lot of reports that uh, Juwan Parks was romantically involved with an adult woman, I believe she's in her 30s, at that house on Wyoming and Chippewa, and that they had had some kind of falling out, and he left. She, he was, you know, thrown out of the house because uh, there have been some media reports that he lived there. And so he went back two weeks before the shooting to get in, and he was barred from the house, and allegedly he came back and shot up the house. Okay. And so on November 20th, uh, police were dispatched out there on a home invasion, and when they got there, they were told by an occupant of the house that there was a man in there with a gun. And so um, then, you know, they went into the house, the police officers went into the house and searched the house. And when they went down the basement, they were fired upon. Um, we do know that um, Mr. Parks uh, was a parolee and we also have ordered up records to look at two more cases, one in 2008 and one 2009. Uh, that he was in, he's been charged with. Okay. And so um, right now, that's that's all we know. Um, there had been some report um, of him allegedly being infatuated, obsessed, if you will, with a sixteen-year-old uh, girl who also uh, is rumored to be an occupant of that house, but it's not a relative of the woman that uh, Parks was allegedly involved with. And there was another shooting two days before the November 20th in which Officer McLean was killed. And uh, there was a guy who allegedly was involved in a, uh, with the 16-year-old girl and allegedly Parks didn't like it. And uh, supposedly that was the motive behind that shooting in which one guy was killed. Um, but nothing was discussed about that shooting at the news conference by Kim Worthy earlier this week. So there are a lot of unanswered questions, a lot that will come out uh, unless they, unless there is a waiver of that preliminary examination or, or uh, Juwan Parks is sent off for a competency exam. 
But on December 23rd, we're expecting to get a lot of details about what happened that night and what happened to uh, the, you know, in the weeks before leading up to the shooting. Okay. And we don't want to to leave out um, the victim in this case, Mr. McLean. Um, tell us a little bit about him, um, his background, how long he had been with the department and all of, all of that kind of stuff. Well, my colleague George Hunter did a, a lot of extensive and comprehensive reporting on uh, Officer McLean. Um, what I do know is uh, from his reporting, from George's reporting, is that um, he'd been with the 12th Precinct about 16 years. He's 46, a father. Uh, he's going to be uh, buried tomorrow. Uh, he'll be laid to rest tomorrow in the funeral at uh, Greater Grace Temple um, on uh, Seven Mile on the northwest side. Um, said he was a well-liked a police officer. Um, he will be, he's going to be promoted posthumously to the rank of sergeant and will be buried with Sergeant Stripes, uh, Detroit Police Chief Craig. Uh, told us earlier this week. Okay. And Chief Craig, how has he dealt with the situation? Obviously, um, with the ranks in, in the department, it certainly is not um, a a happy moment. Um, and, and I'm sure others in Detroit are um, upset about an officer being killed. So what is the what has been the mood of uh, Chief Craig as it relates to this incident? Well, like I said, George, uh, he covers the Detroit Police Department, but I just kind of think back to the night that this happened and, uh, you know, you, you had the live TV uh, reports about the shooting and, uh, yeah, you could definitely see how he was stricken by it and pained by, by it. You could see him standing next to a Detroit Mayor uh, Mike Duggan, just looking, just very pained. Um, and, you know, talking about the shooting. Um, I'm, I'm sure that this is probably every police chief's worst nightmare. Sure. Um, and sort of back to the prelim hearing today, um, was there anyone uh, present in the courtroom? Was was there um, either one of the, the families that were there? And if so, what was the atmosphere like? You know, you'd see... Um, any of the families. We didn't see Park's family. We didn't see uh, uh, Officer McLean's family. But uh, we've been told by Kim Worthy earlier this week that the family just wanted privacy, just wanted privacy. So we didn't expect to see his family there. Okay. And like I said, it was a very brief hearing, uh, brief arraignment. Um, you had uh, uh, Juwan Park's attorney there. Um it probably lasted less than 15 minutes. Sure. And, um, you know, he, it was by video a hookup. Um, I would imagine if the prelim uh, goes forward, uh, it will be uh, real interesting. Usually when you have um, a police officer who is shot or killed and, and during the hearings for the suspect or defendant who is accused of uh, the killing of a police officer, you you get fellow officers who will come um, to the hearings uh, for support uh, for the families 
and in the memory of the fallen officer. Um, I understand there were 200 police officers who showed up at the hospital that night. Uh, Sergeant McClain was killed. Wow. I didn't know it was that many that showed up at the hospital that night. Yeah, that was reported 200. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so as it's been a uh, very busy, uh, you know, uh, no, late November and early December in Detroit, Metro Detroit. Yes, that is very true. That is very true. Mm -hmm. um, and as we sort of wrap mm -hmm. up, um, give us your final thoughts on uh, everything we sort of talked about today and uh, anything else that you uh, want to add to uh, what we d discussed uh, this afternoon. Um, I will definitely, just like everybody else, like the, every, you know, the gun advocates and, you know, citizens of East Point who support this new gun uh, ordinance will be uh, carefully following it uh, in the courts because, uh, like yourself, I believe it could potentially go all the way to the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, the other thing is um, I would love to interview the occupants of the house to try to find out, you know, what, what happened uh, that fateful night um, that, uh, that caused, that brought about the shooting uh, of the Detroit police officer. You know, um, what happened in uh, Juwan Park's life, what led up to this with him? Um, was this a possible attempt at suicide by, by cop? So, you know, it'll be, that'll be an interesting case also to follow. And, um, you know, uh, where, did, where did this rifle, I understand it was an assault rifle. Um, where did it come from? How easy was it to get on the street? A lot of questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, before you jump off the line, um, please uh, give our listeners um, your information to where they can get a hold of you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Darren. Um, my number here at the paper is 313-222-2027. My mobile is 313-910-9898. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, Orlander Brand Williams. And my email is bwilliams, B, B as in boy or B as in brand, bwilliams at DetroitNews.com. Well, thank you, Orlando. Thank you so much, Darren, for allowing me to give out my contact information. Oh, absolutely. We we always have to make sure that the public can get a hold of, you know, uh, reporters like yourself. And, you know, as reporters, as you know, we are only good as the people who call us and, and or email us and uh, provide us information. Um, we're, we're no absolutely. good. We're no good without yeah. them. And so uh, we're definitely going to be a platform to make sure that the public can get a hold of reporters like yourself and, and any other guest uh, that wants to, uh, you know, get their information to people. Um, because as, Absolutely. as they say, inform, uh, power is information or information is power. And so, you know, we want to make sure that folks get uh, the information and they get the correct information because, 
you know, on social media uh, these days, there, there are a lot of people who post stories, but they post commentary with their stories and it's not all uh, accurate. And so, um, you know, at, for us as reporters, um, we have to make sure that we, we not only interact with the public, but we make sure that they receive uh, the most accurate information possible. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. And with that, we well, will. We appreciate, we definitely appreciate your pos- podcast and keeping people uh, educated and informed. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And with that, this is another edition of another end to an edition of Beyond the Headlines. And I hope you all have a great week. As we leave Beyond the Headlines, I want to give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines. 